Okay. I hope everybody is good and awake this morning. Got your running shoes on. I realized I, I, about halfway through this study a couple of days ago, I said I sure wish I had that question uh, Trevor asked back two or three classes. Uh, I really kind of wish now I had three classes for this material because I really do probably have three classes worth of material. But we'll get through it this morning. Let's go ahead and get started with a reminder of some warnings that we had last time. If I was to ask the question, what is probably the number one thing, if you just talk to people in the world, what's the number one um, uh, thing that we talked about last time that people are missing when it comes to this topic and many others? Knowledge. Knowledge. They just don't know. They've never thought about it. It's amazing how many people I talk to that, you know, how the church spends its money or whatever the topic is that they don't know because they've never thought about it. Um, so we talked about the warnings with the danger of lack of knowledge. Paul said of the Romans, uh, the Israel, they had a zeal for God, but it wasn't according to knowledge. The second one is what? The second warning we had, we see now. Not being able to discuss the scripture in a civil way. Exactly. Exactly. When you go back and you read some of the debates and you hear some of the people talk about what happened, emotions and attitudes sometimes on both sides of a lot of the issues got out of hand. So one of the things we need to be able to do is make sure we continue to approach people in a, in a loving and a teaching matter with meekness and fear. And then the third one we talked about is make sure we listen before we respond. When someone's talking to us, you're not constantly in the back of your mind trying to formulate your next statement you're going to say, as we talked about as the fault of many of us. But yet, in the other hand, we're truly listening so that we can, re- we can repeat their position back to them so that they say, yes, that's what I'm saying to you. I think those three things are important for us in warnings when we're dealing with those around and about. Now, we also talked about, spent some time talking about authority. Now, <coughs> it is the Scriptures that will equip us to every good work. If we come up, if you cannot find authority in the Scriptures, it's not a good work. We, sometimes we think of things and we think, hey, that would be a really good thing to do. But, if you can't find the authority in the Scriptures for it, even though we may think it's a good work, it's not a good work. So, the only good work for those that are from the Scriptures, and they will equip us to every good work. And we looked at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. Uh, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And we, we made a statement, and I, I would continue to say it and continue to remind us, if we can't find where the Lord says to do it, if we can't find where He says it, then there is no way we can say we can do it in His name. If we can't quote Him, if we can't go back and say, here's where He said it, there is no way we can say. We can say we're doing it in His name, but there's no way that we are doing it in His name if we can't find it. So that is a bit of a backdrop for a bit of a reminder of some of the things we talked about uh, Wednesday night and getting ready for this morning. Now, we talked about some of the things that was authorized for service and for the spending of the Lord's money, the assembly, the observance of the Lord's Supper, to sing, um, exhort, pray, teach, the contribution and support, um, supporting gospel preachers. Now, these are things we talked about before we go to the next slide. We talked about the things that um, we, the church expenses the church may ensue in order to, to fulfill these activities. Whether it be a building for preaching, classrooms for teaching, um, that the song books and whatnot for, for the singing and for those commands. And then just as another bit of a reminder, 
We can't, don't have time to go back and look at the scriptures. But I want to put a couple of visuals in front of us for what we talked about, kind of encapsulating what we talked about Wednesday night. One of the things that we saw was there was a church, there was a man out there who was preaching, and a church sent money to that man. We read of Paul's that the Philippians, the Macedonians, a church sent money to Paul in order to go out and preach the gospel. Also, we had many churches who had sent money to Paul. We, we just mentioned it. We, both the Philippians, the Macedonians, in the book of Acts, records where multiple churches were cooperating in the sense they were all sending money, but they were sending it to Paul. And then he was making his living from that, and the people in Corinth wasn't. He said, I robbed other churches. The people in Corinth was not paying him while he was, re- while he was preaching there and working there, but he was receiving his funds from other churches. So that's another thing we talked about. And another we spent a lot of time on benevolence. That taking care of needy saints. And we put needy saints there and the asterisk there is just to remind us that, it, that we did talk about it being needy saints and not general benevolence. But here again, we have, we talked about the time and places where the church, where some need arose, benevolent need arose, and the church helped one of their members. They shared. They had all things in common. They sold their possessions and they shared it among them. And we also have opportunity, and we see where the churches in Macedonia and other, in, uh, well, starting in chapter 11, those up in Antioch, they heard of the prophecy of Agabus, and they saw that there was going to be a great famine. So they set aside and they determined that they wanted to send relief to the churches in the church and the other churches in Judea there, and they did so by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So you have many churches who saw a work, and they sent money to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul in that case and then um, by other men later in, in the third, second and third journeys. So here are some things, some overview of some things. And this is just going back to putting pictures and drawing some charts to give us a mental picture of things that we talked about Wednesday night. And then here, um, the same kind of thing. It was, it was the same thing, but just reversed. That there was a church that saw the need out there, and there was multiple churches like those, the churches of Judea, that were suffering and had need, and that church sent money to the individual churches out there to supply those needs. Now, we ended with this slide Wednesday night. And one, we looked at the qualifications, and the qualifications of the widow indeed. Now, the widow indeed was the one that the church could take in and completely take care of their needs. But we looked at the fact that a widow indeed must be left alone. They must trust in God. They must continue in prayer and supplication. Over 60, the wife of one man. And been well reported through their life of doing all these good, the good deeds, the good works, and taking care of others. They've taken care of others. They've sowed much, and now it's time for them to reap. And we left with a question. With such qualifications put on being a widow indeed, we left with the question, does it sound like God cared how the church spent its money? And I think just the simple detail that's given, I think, makes that point fairly clearly. So now let's begin our, our unique study today and start talking about individual responsibility. And we're staying in that same topic with um, the widows. There were those widows that, were, that fit those qualifications and the church could take them in. But there are two statements in 1 Timothy chapter 5. One, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to show piety at home 
and repay their parents for the good and acceptable for this is good and acceptable before God. If any believing man or woman has a widow, let them relieve them, and do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. Okay, so when we look at this statement down here, is there a difference between, and we're going to look at this a lot today, is there a difference between what the individual can do and what the church can do? I don't think you can read this passage and not see, you know, if they have believing, if a man or woman has believing widows, do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows, or widows indeed. I don't think you can escape the point that there is one command given, but yet the individual, the family, they have a responsibility, and if that responsibility is there, the church can't spend money in that case. But if there is not one to take care of the, that widow, then the church can take, take her in. Now, Let's couple that with a point before we go into that of orphan homes and some of the things we're going to start talking about today. Another very important point that I think we have to know and we have to understand is two passages that talks about the work of elders. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2, the elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock which is among you, serving as overseer, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Shepherd the flock that's where? Among, among you. you. Do the elders here have anything? Do they have any oversight of what's going on in Jackson Drive? No. No. They're, they don't have any oversight of what's going on in Jackson Drive or anywhere else. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, uh, or 28, Paul is talking to the elders, Therefore take heed of yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church which he has purchased with his own blood, the, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Once again, that same concept. And we will not find anything different anywhere else. The elders will oversee the flock that's there, the flock that's among them, the flock um, that they have been made shepherds or overseers, <coughs> pastors, or elders of. So, now let's begin our discussion. Should an orphan be helped? Yes. The answer is yes. James chapter 1 and verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. This word visit or inspect orphans and widows, it is a responsibility. And it is the work that should be done. Yes, it should be done. Now, let's ask the question, who should help? What's the context of James chapter 1? I know there's no way if you're in the back of the room you can read this, but I think what you can see is the fact that there is words in red and bolded and underlined. And everyone, and this is the context of that passage. And every one of the words that you see in red and underlined is the singular pronoun. Um, Blessed is the man. He uh, has been approved. He will receive. Let no one say that he is tempted. I, that, that he is tempted. I am tempted of God. But each one is tempted of his own desires. Let every man, um, if anyone, he, observe himself. He, you get the point? All throughout here, the passage is an individual and their responsibility. Um, and their responsibility um, 
to the to to the orphans in this case, orphans and widows in this case. Um, Tracy, even in that sentence, it uses the word oneself. Yes. To keep oneself unsplashed. So the context of that very sentence is the end of the sentence. Exactly. And the one that I forgot to make red and highlight. But you're right. Very good point. To keep oneself um, unspotted from the world. Okay. Um, in, this, in this next slide, what I'm, what I'm doing here, and there's supposed to be another picture here. It'll, it'll show up in a minute. I think my things were out of order. But how does it work? Now, one... We've taken the fact that orphans should be taken care of. But when we look out and about, and we go back in time, how this was set up for it to work. Well, you have our same picture here. You have local churches over here on this side, and they're sending their fundings. But who are they sending it to? They're sending it to a board. They're sending it to this group of men. Now, what is the men in turn doing? Well, I'm deciding what to do with the money. Yes. The men in themselves. I, I don't ever know what happened. Once again, just picture. You know, there there is a there is another house over here, a big huge house uh, with a lot of children standing out front. So you got to use your men a lot for that one. But when this is happening, when this is happening, and you've got a man, the money has been sent to this board, and the board is then overseeing and taking care of the house. Whose work is that? Who's doing the work? Who's doing the overseeing? Who's doing the supervising? Yep, that board, those men. The elders that are here at this local church, they have a say? Yeah. No. I mean, we can, we'll talk later about whether the orphan home is even something that the church could even be a part of. But yet, even if it was a work the church as a whole could be a part of, like mission, could they relinquish their, you know, elders step out of their role to relinquish the work that they're told to do to shepherd the flock among them and oversee that church's work to give that work to someone else. And there is no authority. There is no scriptures for that. Now, in speaking specifically of, of orphan homes, there is a quote that I got from, and I, can even, I, I looked at so many websites, I can't even now tell you which church I actually quoted this from. But the quote goes like this. It was a defending article for it. And what an individual Christian can do because he is a Christian, the church can do as well. Can an individual uh, Christian support the answer being no? Neither can a congregation. Can an individual Christian support an orphan home? Yes. Or can an individual Christian support the orphan home? Yes. And if so, can the church support it? And I've chopped it off there. You can see it coming underneath. The answer to that would be yes as well. Now, let me ask a question. If that premise, if an individual can do it, then the church can do it. If that premise was true... Would it be okay for the church to support the orphan home? Yeah. But, what's wrong with that statement? This is kind of like making a statement and saying, okay, now this statement proves my point. But wait, is the statement, is the premise that you're making, is that true? No. We looked at a passage just a few minutes ago with, um, with the widows who are widows indeed. Is there a difference between what the church can do and what the individual can do? Yes. So once again, I think I can go to that one place and this argument falls to the wayside. And that's about all that can be done. I was going to say that James 127 is just as strong toward widows as it is orphans. So how many widows homes do they board have? It, excellent point. Excellent point. That, and I think the difference is 
it was harder psychologically to bring, and this is this is kind of me stepping out of the relationship statement, but I don't think there's anything false about it. Psychologically, I think it was harder to get the emotional plea out to the people to bring a widow and put before the people and say, you know, this person is starving, this person is neglected, and, and we need you to help us do something about it. To where to put a starving child or to bring a child dressed up in, in ragged clothes. It made a bigger it made a bigger plea. Yes. The end degree of that is it would be harder to collect money. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's all about. Yes. Yes, it, that is exactly true. And the issue is you've got a middleman organization standing between the church and its elders and its work and the work out there being done. If you can find scripture for it, that would be fine. But in every scripture we looked at Wednesday night, where did the money go? Directly to the need. Directly to the person, directly to the elders of the church. Wherever the need was, the money went straight there. We have no uh, example of a middleman organization. Maybe uh, jumping ahead of you, you might bring this up later, but suppose the, uh, uh, the city government were made up of members of the congregation, of, a, of a members of the church, the mayor, the city council, all members of the church. Is the church running the city? Is it uh, are they is is the church uh, in politics? <laughs> so uh, that there's difference in uh, 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 an individual can operate a grocery store, store. Uh, he can uh, operate a factory, uh, a shop of some kind, he can be a, a body shop, or something. Mm-hmm. but the church is not in business. And I think that ABS would be you know the school ABS down the street would be an example of that. You know Christian people can run an organization, but it is not a part of the church. Now, for time's sake, it, it would be tough to actually go into every one of these different scenarios. We've talked about orphans' homes. But with orphan homes must go missionary societies, retirement homes, going back to what Pete said a minute ago, colleges, schools, any kind of uh, publication TVs and radio. Once again, this is not where a church is, is buying airtime. This is where a lot of churches are sending money to an overseeing board or council of some kind who is then doing this work. Okay? The same things we've talked about with Orphan Home. Where is the responsibility? Where is the scripture for this middleman organization? Well, with the fall that there's no scripture for it, in that case, there is no scripture for it in these cases as well. And these are still pretty big. I mean, where the orphan home, I don't hear that as often anymore. These conversations are still very true today. And we simply have no scripture for this arrangement. And we, we remind ourselves again that the money went to where the need was. The, the church was doing the work, and they did the work, and they sent the money directly to that need. Okay. Let's look at a few defenses. One is that this board is just the method. For example, if the church is told to go preach or go teach the gospel, well, one might choose whether you use a plane or a train or an automobile to get there. That's just the method in which you go out and do that. It's just the how. It's just an expediency. You have the command to visit orphans. You have the command to take care of widows. You have the command to go preach. These boards, these other things, are just the how. But note... The main thing that causes the difference there is you have the board taking the place. You've got this institutional board taking the place of the oversight, taking the place of the supervision, 
taking the place of the oversight of that work, which is the, the work that should be done by the elder of a congregation. So this is not simply how. This is not just simply how the work should be done. Um, do they point to the fact that there were men who took the, the gatherings, the things that were collected, for the needy saints, and say that's the in-between step? And how do you they, they do, do? We're going to get there in just a minute. They do, but not exactly the same way. They actually say the Jerusalem church. A lot of places will say the Jerusalem church was that middle man, not the ones delivering the, the funds, but that Jerusalem took it in dispersion. Now, these things that we've been talking about, are they legitimate works of the church? Some of them, yes. Preaching the gospel. Missionary work. Going out and evangelizing the world. Those, that's supporting preachers. That's a legitimate work of the church. There's nothing wrong with buying television time to preach. There's nothing wrong with buying radio time to preach. There's nothing wrong with putting out publications to print something and mail it out to people in the community. That's preaching and teaching. And there's nothing wrong with supporting widows indeed. But let me ask the question, are these even works of the church? We see that that's where this has gone with these institutional boards and spending. But are these even works of the church? Orphan homes. No, they're works of the individual. That's my responsibility. That's your responsibility as individuals, not Eastside's responsibility. So bring the truth. Yes? Trey, you know, in orphan's home now, there's some children in there that are not orphans. They're there because their their parents don't want the responsibility to bring them up and put them there. If the church sends money to these orphans, is that not helping them? So the, the ones that's responsible for them to see them by not fulfilling their responsibility? It would be, yes. Yeah. Um... I mean, but even, that's absolutely true, but even keeping it in its purest sense, that even if everyone was there, we'd still find ourselves in the same boat. If everyone was there, that was there because they were truly orphaned and not because of um, bad parents or lack of parents or lack of people. Um, the same would go with colleges and schools. Is it, the, is it Eastside's responsibility to educate our children? No. It's my responsibility to make sure Emily gets an education. Do they need one? Yes. But that's my responsibility. That's not the church's here. And likewise, the same to each of you with yours. Yes? I heard said that the uh, passage that speaks to us helping widows and orphans are is the intent of the passage was not just to single out those two, but to use those as examples of anyone in need. As individuals, we do have a responsibility mm-hmm. to help those who are in need, widows and orphans, probably orphans particularly in that society, would have been some of those who are at most in need because they are least able to care for themselves. But I, I don't think as individuals we ought to try to just say, okay, that's all we've got to do is help those two. Exactly. We, you know, we have a responsibility to help those in need. And we have that example and we have that, you know, that, that teaching in plenty of other places to help, to help all. Of the, you know, and as individuals to have all men, but those that are uh, as of the church to have those of the household faith. Excellent point. Okay, um, one of the things that I think we can do is we've got a principle here that I know that that passage doesn't say this when we was talking about the, those that were widows indeed. 
But what was the point that was made? Let the children who have let, let children who have widows, let them take care of them so do not burden the church, that it may relieve those that are widows indeed. Okay? I think we can apply this principle to all these practices. Whether it be orphans' homes, whether it be schools, let me take care of my children and don't let the church be burdened. I think that's a principle that I think we can all take and think about. Let me take care of that work. Let those things that are personal responsibilities as those that had believing uh, or children that had widows, that was a personal work. Let them take that on. Take, let us take on our responsibility and don't let the church be burdened with those things. Now, this kind of goes to what you're talking about a moment ago. Is should the church help non-Christians? We looked at the passages, and there was a couple. The first one we brought up that uh, I think it was Pete that brought up Wednesday night that people would say, well, in Acts 2.44, they delivered to all men as they had need. But we went back and we looked at the context of the passage. That all men was of what group? Those Christians that had believed that were there together in Acts chapter 2 that were gathered together. This Every man is among those Christians when you look at that passage in context. Also, we look, there is another one that people will point to. In Galatians chapter 10... Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those of the household of faith. At first, at, you know, when I read that, you're right. You know, there's obviously a distinction made. Here are those of the household of faith. Here's Christians. Let us do good to all, and then especially those of the household of faith. But once again, we ask ourselves the question, who is being spoken to? And if you back up and look at Galatians, the fifth chapter, and I've done the same thing I did in, in James chapter 1, for sake of time, I pasted the, the three verses before this in here and to try to kind of show the context. Let each one, his, him, a man, he, he, his, he. Those are all words speaking to an individual. And if you look at the context, and don't take my word, but if you're looking at the context, if you go and say, who is this? That's to do good to all, especially those of the household of faith. Who's the who in this passage? It's referring back to this individual. It's referring back to the man, to the Christian, not to the church. And there's one more along these lines, um, and that is in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 13 and 14. We spent a lot of time in 2 Corinthians 9 earlier about how they collected the money. But here is one that, for they're saying they're thankful for the liberal sharing with them and all men, and and by their prayers for you, uh, who will who will long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. So once again, it's the same statement we've seen in two other places. Your liberal sharing—that's that same sharing back and forth with them. Whoops, with them, and then with all men. A couple of points here. One, that word sharing is the same word for communion. In fellowship. If this was non-Christian, there, it would be a break to use this word communion, because if you look in chapter uh, six, verse fourteen, um, have no fellowship with the works of darkness. What fellowship has light with darkness? There is no place where this word communion or twenty-eight forty-two in the Strong's Concordance is used in this sense. So it would be a complete break to turn and use it here. That alone, I don't necessarily know that that would solve it. But it's, a, it's an interesting point. Also, the word men here is in italics in, in the King James Version. And what does that mean? It, it was put there to help us understand a little better, but it was not in the original text. So them and all is also. 
And the thing that I that somewhat for me see that kind of drives the point home is that very next phrase, and by their prayers for you, whoever this them and all men is, their prayers. What prayers of a non Christian are heard? What prayers of a non Christian will be mentioned in Scripture, you know, in, in a positive light? With these things, with these points, and from some of the smarter ones in the room, probably could add a lot more to that. But I think these will suffice to say this all here is also um, speaking of the Christians around, whether it be different congregations or whether it just be to a select group and to the Christian group as a whole, um, would be the point of this passage. And this takes us directly into the sponsoring church. Now, first, the only difference between sponsoring church and, and the ones we've talked about before is take out institutional board and plug in elders from one church. Okay? Plug in the elder charity side instead of institutional board, and you've got the sponsoring church. You have local churches sending money to the elders of another church, whether it be a big church in Lubbock, Texas, or Memphis, or wherever, that decided we want to evangelize Germany, we want to evangelize Japan. Whatever, that, that from what some of my reading were some things that happened in Lubbock and also in Memphis, uh, when all of the, the issues were going on, you got, what have you got? you got a church that's taking on a work larger than they can do. Okay, that's the first point. So they're trying to take on more than they can do. So now they're asking other congregations to help. We can't do this alone, but hey, if you'll send us money, together we can get this done. And it may be benevolence and it may be preaching. But once again, we come back to the point we asked earlier. What work is the elders to oversee? What flock are they to oversee? The one that's among them. So what we have here is churches sending money to some large group, some large church, and that collective money being put together and spent for the preaching or benevolence or whatever you want over here. And we ask, where is the scriptures for this? And the simple truth is, there's not. Just like there's not scripture for a middleman organization, there's not scripture for this. But there are some defenses that are... They're opposed. And this is one that we'll come back to what Melissa said just a moment ago. One is, the first one, and once again, when you take some of these at face value, they sound good. What can possibly be wrong with a sponsoring church? You've got a spiritual work. Once again, a valid work. We looked at that. It is a valid work to be performed by the church. <coughs> overseen by elders. <coughs> and the congregation. There's, there's two good valid points. But once again, you've got... The problem with that is you've got elders leaving their role and their oversight of this church that's among them and they're bringing in funds and they're, and especially for those that are sending their funds, their work is not being done under their, oversight, their oversight. And the one specifically here is there's two points that's usually made. There may be more, but these are the two that I found in, in my study that says that Jerusalem was the sponsoring church. That they were sending their funds to Jerusalem and Jerusalem was distributing those funds to all the churches there in Judea. The first one, in Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 30, you have Agabus making the prophecy that there's going to be a great famine in Judea. So the brethren up there in Antioch in that area decide they're going to send relief. And they do so. They send it by the hands of Barnabas and Saul um, to the elders. And that's what verse 30 says. They sent it by the hand of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Okay? Now, if you go to chapter 12 in verse 25, 
The, the point is made that Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, therefore that's the only place they went. To me, that is a leap. That's a huge leap. That's like to say someone who comes... Um, I went blank. The gentleman from Ohio that was here just a couple weeks ago. From Ohio? Illinois. Illinois, I'm sorry. Wade Walker. Wade Walker, thank you. He was here just a few weeks ago. Well, when he was here, did you not go to Jackson Drive as well? Um, and we have that, you know, preachers come here, and they may go down to Hartsville, they may go to other places while they're here. And it would be very easy for them to return and say, yeah, when I got back from Eastside, or when I got back from Athens, these things, you know, or they left and they returned here from Athens. But does that mean that's the only place that Paul and Saul, I mean Barnabas and Saul went while they were there? No. And there's no support in the passage to make the point that they're making here. So, once again, I don't think this says anything of the sort that Jerusalem was the sponsoring church. The second one takes a little more time to develop, and then uh, we're running really short on time, so I'm going to have to speed up. But And I've got it all here in the PowerPoint, so anybody who wants to grab this afterwards, feel free. Um, the second one goes and says, this, this point was made, and then they go to Galatians chapter 1 and verse 22, and says, well, Paul was unknown by faith to the churches in Judea, therefore he must not have delivered the funds. They didn't know him. So if they didn't know his face, obviously he didn't go to the elders in those churches. He went to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem distributed the funds because he was not known by face to the churches there. Galatians chapter 1, we all know, Paul's defending his apostleship and he gives a chronology of what happened to him after his conversion. And the point is that he didn't go to Jerusalem and get his gospel from the other apostles there. Says he left Damascus and went into Arabia in verse 17. He left Arabia, returned back to Damascus in verse 3. And then three years later, he goes up into Jerusalem. And when he goes up into Jerusalem, he sees Peter and he stays there for 15 days. And it's at this point he goes into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and that he's not known to the elders, or he's not known by faith to the churches. Chronologically, this is right after his conversion, within three years of his conversion, much before. Um, the context back chapter the end of chapter 11 and verse 12 where he's returning and so that point that he wasn't known by faces by face is a true point but the point is that was much earlier in the chronology than when they're trying to apply the point to so there's nothing to say that Paul and Saul Saul and Barnabas went and took the money to Jerusalem and then Jerusalem distributed it verse 30 simply says he took it to the elders so the churches were in Judea that they were sending the relief to, and the, the passage says he took it to the elders. And I think that leaves us plenty to believe that he took it to the individual churches there. And that Jerusalem did not serve as the sponsoring church. But I think that was the best of the three arguments that I read about it. And our last section is about funding social activities. And I kind of hate that we're kind of rushed on it because this is what I think is our future. I think the others, those arguments have been had, and I think... The lines have been drawn and people... Now, there's not people on the right side of the lines, but I don't see those coming back up as often as this one. Funding the social activities. And I think this is our future. Um, let's start with a couple of points that, that this is not. This is not whether someone can eat or drink in the building. This is not whether Jeff can go to Arby's, grab lunch, and bring it back to the building and eat it. That's not the point here. It's not about this building or this, this wood, this mortar, these the stone that is built with being sacred and there being something about it that you just can't bring food in here and profane. It was a, a spirit, it's built and was built for spiritual work, so it shouldn't be used for other things. But yet there's nothing sacred 
about this building. The issue is very simple. Don't let someone make this the issue. Don't let somebody make it about, there's a water cooler, you can drink in the building, therefore you can eat in the building. That's not a valid argument. It's not, can I eat or drink? It's not whether the building is sacred. Is there authority for the church to plan and fund social activities for people? And I was given another one, and I'm going to actually give it its slogan of Coon Hunting for Christ. I've not heard that one before. We heard this morning before this class that there's a group that is going out and organizing Coon Hunts for Christ. Once again, we also heard of grocery stores, opening businesses, opening grocery stores to sell, and the proceeds going back. It's what I believe. I'm going to read that. That's in the local paper today. So everybody go home and get their lifestyles. It's not a store. They're doing it through the church. They're not, they're not oh, they're not even running a business. They're not running a grocery store. They're just selling food packages through the church. Wow. Okay, so they're doing it through the church. That's in today's uh, Athens News School Year, so if you want to pick up a copy of it. We see these slogans, whether it's coffees and donuts, or whether it's ca- there's casual services, or there's plays, uh, performances, musicals, gyms, softball teams. We see these. Now, let me ask a question. And I've seen this play out. You look at softball teams. When the softball team goes away, what happens to the attendance? It goes to the softball team. I have heard people at work discussing the simple fact that they will, they're going to go play on this church's softball team because they don't require as much attendance as this church does. These social activities, as soon as the social activity dries up, so will the attendance that it entails. But what are we doing? These are some, these are some quotes I will come and leave you with. This is from an article, and here, if you get the presentation, you can see it. But the article is simple. Chances are your local church is moving away from a traditional format and attempt to fill in the pews. As South Church in Andover, Massachusetts was debating to hold alternative worship, the question wasn't which day is holy. The question was simply, they did a market survey to say when would get us the most attendance. When is the least interrupted time to people's life that I can get the attendance that I want? One minister in Arkansas instituted his own version of who wants to be a millionaire. Cash prizes of $1,000. If you'll come, we'll play the game who wants to be a millionaire. Maybe it was Bible questions. I don't know. And then you have someone who is running a bus around in Bryan, Texas. $10 if you'll get on the bus and come to church. Flat out robbery. I'll pay you to come. I ask a simple question. Have we forgotten a simple truth? Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of salvation for everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. What are we to get people in the door with? What are we to convert people to? We're to convert them to Christ. We're to convert them by the gospel. These other things are used because people no longer have faith that the gospel has the power to do what God says it will do. So to me, anyone who is going into these things, they've simply lost their faith that the gospel has the power. It's powers of the gospel that it's not in something else. There's a lot of things, love feast. We can't know what love feasts are. Uh, I don't think there's anyone that can say a love feast is this. If there is, I'd love to talk to you after class. Some say it's the Lord's Supper. Barnes makes his point. I don't necessarily think I agree with that, that these love feasts were the Lord's Supper. Others say that it was a, a, a meal that the rich put on for the poor members. But there's no indication in any of these cases. These are both where the false doctrine and false teachers are being reviewed. There are spots on your love feast. These are degenerate men that are destroying your love feast or your, your feast. These, are, these passages are not authorizing any kind of love feast. 
They're, we don't even know what these love feasts are. These passages, by context, is talking about the horrible false teachers and what they're doing to the church. So we can't make any arguments off the love feasts because we simply don't know what they are and they're not something that we were, had described to us. Um, and I think a very important point when it comes to these things is you not have the point is made when they made the Lord's Supper a common meal. They brought everybody together and they made the Lord's Supper a common meal. And one of the points Paul made is don't you have houses to eat and drink in? If you're talking about Acts chapter 2, um, they say, are we supposed to have fellowship with one with another? In Acts chapter 2, where were they doing that fellowship? Where was they having that fellowship? They were having it in the homes. They weren't having it together. So this word fellowship can be used as a business. James and John were in business partners together. That word is a communion. But it simply means a sharing, a communion, a participation. Obviously, we couldn't go there, but I'll paste it in if anybody wants to go and grab it. I'll paste it in where this 2842 is used in the Scriptures. And the point you'll find is that every time it's never social. Every time the word fellowship or communion is used, it's not social. The world, we've made it social, not the Scripture. All right, there's about two slides that I did not get to. They'll be on the website, but I appreciate your time and uh, your patience as I try to hurry through this.